If you have your Bibles with you, if you could open them up to Nehemiah chapter 5. We're going to be looking starting at verse 14 this morning. And we're going to be answering the question, how well do we handle promotion? When it comes to our lives, how well do we handle demotion when it comes to our lives? You know, in 2006, the year brought an increase to my salary. And with that increase came an idea. I don't really remember thinking much about this before, but you know how money can, you know, when you get a little bit more money, all of a sudden you begin to think what you'd like to do with it. And so I began to think it would be great to be a kayaking family. I mean, let's get kayaks and let's kayak because as I said to my wife, who is alone, the voice of reason in our family, who did not think this was a wise investment, I said to her over and over, the family that kayaks together stays together, right? Powerful, convincing. Now, in my family, this is what happens. Denise will say no, and then I begin the cycle of wearing her down. And I almost always win. And it's not because she's weak, it's just because I'm particularly skilled. So, we wanted kayaks. Well, okay, I wanted kayaks. And so we went to the Army-Navy store in Whitehall with the well-researched plan of getting two kayaks and the accessories and coming home. When we came home that late afternoon, we owned five kayaks. <laughs> and what was in our research an $800 purchase now ballooned to over 2000 We went to sleep that night. I couldn't sleep. I finally went down to the couch. I really couldn't sleep then either. I just kept hearing God convicting me on that purchase. I woke up the next morning when Denise woke up. I said, did you sleep well? She said, no. Do you think we made a mistake? Yes. I called the Whitehall store. The manager's name was Steve. Very friendly as he took my money. And I said to Steve, I said, Steve, I think we made a mistake. We've overextended ourselves. We really only need two kayaks. He goes, you know what, Tim? I understand that. I went into Walmart recently to buy something small. I came out owning a laptop computer. I get that. What do you want to do? I told him what we wanted to do. He says, come on in. We'll make it right. Listen, when you get a promotion in your life, what do you do with it? How do you handle that? Maybe that promotion, maybe it's a higher position in your career. Maybe... It's a promotion within a volunteer organization. You have a position of more authority. Maybe that promotion comes from moving from the, the bench to the starting squad or from JV to varsity. Maybe it's in the form of a bonus or an increase in salary. When promotions come, how do we handle them? You know, Thomas Carlyle once declared, he says this, you can see it behind me, adversity is sometimes hard upon a man, but for one man who can stand prosperity, there are a hundred that will stand diversity. What he's saying is it's more, it's easier to, to handle adversity than it is prosperity. You know, I think that might be right. So let's watch how Nehemiah handled the promotion that God gave to him. And we're going to start in verse 14 in chapter 5. Now, if you don't have your Bible with you, 
There should be one right in front of you. Uh, maybe you have an electronic Bible and you need to get Wi-Fi access. It's all CEFC. Made it as simple as possible, lowercase. We want you in the Bibles. I preach out of the English Standard Version. You can use whatever standard, whatever version you want. But the ones in the pews are the ESV. Let's join together. This is one way you check what I'm saying and make sure it's right. Verse 14, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, there's that promotion, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, he explains 12 years. Now listen, look at me for just a moment. He was a governor in two terms. This is the first term. He goes back to Persia, and then he returns for a second term. Here's the first 12-year term. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. So how do you handle promotion well? I'm going to give you four ways that when God brings promotion to your life, and by the way, maybe he brings demotion. You ever been demoted? There's more ways of being demoted than fired. We have people in our church that have gone from high-level positions, and this economy has dwindled their company and they're now on a lower level and they've handled it in a diverse number of ways we have people here who are now gone from full-time to part-time lost salaries rather than gained in our church so how do you handle promotion how do you handle prosperity how do you handle demotion those are the four points we're going to address this morning promotions number one Move us always in a downward direction. Listen, when God brings promotion to your life, the world's going to tell you you're going up the the corporate ladder. Your bank's going to tell you that they agree you're going up the the corporate ladder. Your friends who love your sport that you play when you're promoted to the starting squad are going to tell you you're moving up. The kingdom of God will tell you you're moving down. If you want to advance in God's kingdom, you're going to head downward. And there cannot be a better example of this than our own Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in Philippians, who, though he was in the form of God, listen, you don't get a higher position than that. Jesus is God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was promoted to the Savior. He's always been the Savior. He's promoted to the mission of the Savior. And he headed downhill into the form of man. When God promotes a person, it will be a higher calling to deeper service. Can you write that down or at least remember that? It's not very long. You can... Stick it in as an anchor to your mind when promotion comes. If God's promoting you, it's going to be a higher calling to a deeper service. And he promotes those whom he trusts, he knows are ready. He knows they're willing to lay themselves on the altar and give up their rights and their privileges. You know, Nehemiah went from the the third most powerful person in the world as a cupbearer to the king. God promoted him within the kingdom to oversee and organize the building and the rebuilding of Jerusalem. 
That's a step up in God's eyes. But in the world's eyes, it's a demotion. And the position of governor, which he became, it was a wealthy position. It's the highest post possible for a Jew. You can't find a higher position than the governor. And it came with perks. And one of the perks was an expense account. And it's how they entertained visiting officials. It's how they fed their families and their cabinetry, their staff. And the account was provided, listen, not by the king. He didn't write to them and say, oh, well, congratulations on winning the election. Here's your monthly stipend. That's not how it worked. Listen, if you wanted to be a governor and you wanted your expense account, you needed to extract it from the people through their taxes. And it was commonly abused. You know, I have a friend, actually he's a relative. Because this is being videoed, I won't tell you who it is. But he runs an auto mechanic shop. Now he owns it before he ran it. And in the auto mechanic business, it's common when you need parts for your vehicle, there's a percentage that the the owner of the shop applies. I don't know if you knew that, but when you get your car fixed, it's pretty common that when they order parts for it, they tack on a percentage. That's how they make their profit. Except this relative was tacking on an exorbitant amount and burying it in the hourly work. We knew what was going on. But he was extracting money from people in an unethical way. It's pretty easy to do that. And we know how easy to do that. It's easy to mismanage money. You know what we do on our staff team pretty regularly? We go through the finances because we get our statement every month. And now that we've hired our administrative director, he's helping us even better. But we remind each other every single penny we ever spend in ministries coming from your gifts and your offerings. We are highly attuned to that. And we know we're going to be held accountable by God for how we do that. When you are promoted, it is into deeper downward service and there is greater accountability. You know, when the citizens of High Wycombe in England, when they elect a new mayor, by the way, this continues to happen. This is their custom. That mayor is weighed at the beginning on a set of scales in public, weighed at the beginning of the term and at the end of the term. They've been doing this, by the way, since 1678. And when the result is known, the town crier announces and no more if they haven't gained any weight. And if they have gained weight, the town crier announces and some more. And if they have not gained weight, they're applauded since they've not grown fat at public expense. Listen, there's an accountability when you're promoted. And Nehemiah knows this. Look what it says. For 12 years as governor, he paid this expense from his own pockets so that he would not put any more strain on the people who were already struggling. 12 12 years he did this. He had the right to create an expense account. The the governors before him created the expense account and then they extracted more money. They were growing wealthy from the poor people's 
forced giving. But Nehemiah says, I won't create an expense account. I'll pay for it with my own money. Because he knew that promotion doesn't provide freedom to be served, but to serve. And when the godly leader is promoted, listen, it may come to you. You may be moving into a new phase in life where you're promoted to a higher status. You're given more authority. You have a better position and you've got more income coming. When that promotion happens, he or she will proceed downhill. They will begin to see God's given it for them to serve. Jesus said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Listen, when promotion comes, he says, this is what it ought to look like. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the track for promotion in God's kingdom. If God promotes you and he promotes me, he's giving you a higher platform for deeper service. Friends, the ladder of success in the kingdom of God, listen, please listen, it always travels downward. Promotion leads in a downward direction. But number two, promotion exposes our character. The very fact, Oswald Sanders wrote, that a man has risen to a position of leadership with all of its attendant prominence tends to engender a secret or create a secret self-congratulation and pride, which, if not checked, will unfit him for further advancement in the service of the kingdom. In short, what he's saying in his book, Spiritual Leadership, when God brings promotion, here's the tendency. It tends to increase your pride. Your pride begins to travel in the direction of the promotion. Because promotions expose our hearts, they expose our character. By the way, demotions do the same. You ever been demoted at work and all of a sudden you hear the buzz in the workplace and negative attitude, gossip, slander, anger, bitterness, resentment? That's the exposition of the heart. You know, our son Andrew last week came home from church from Sunday school class, he had, a, he had a piece of paper with the word sovereign, sovereignty. By the way, if your children are in our Sunday school ministry, can I give a shout out to Linda Friend? She is doing a phenomenal job with Chrissy Cisco and all of the staff from sixth grade down in our children's ministry. They are doing a phenomenal job. Parents, you need to know they're learning probably better than you. Okay, let's move on. Here's... <laughs> Here's the word sovereignty that my son Andrew is learning. Now, if you don't get this, then a seven-year-old can get it better than you. And it's short and it's to the point. Here's what it says. God has the right, wisdom, and power to do all that he pleases. That's how you define sovereignty. God has the right, he has the wisdom, and he has the power to do all that he pleases. That's what our children are learning. And we see that in Psalm 75, where it says, Do not lift up your horn on high. Can I give you a modern equivalent? Don't toot your own horn. Listen, why does it say that? Or speak with a haughty neck. 
It is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Listen, if you get a promotion, it is from God. If you get a demotion, it is ultimately from God. And sometimes he brings promotions, sometimes he allows demotions, but in either case, it will expose what is in our hearts and it's going to reveal our character. Look at verse 15. You want to see a version, an exposition of Nehemiah's heart. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. So you've got all these governors that preceded Nehemiah and they were corrupt and their staff lorded it over the people. In fact, if you want to know what that word lorded means, then all you got to do is go to Ecclesiastes 8, 9. It's the same word put in different English. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun. Here it is. When man has, here's lorded, Power over man to his hurt. That's what the word lorded means. It means to exercise hurtful power over other people. And these were the governors before Nehemiah. And Nehemiah said, but I did not do it because I was in the fear of God. You know, Joseph Stalin, that murderous dictator, murdered millions of his own people in Russia. You know what he did one time? I don't know if you've ever heard this. He gathered all of his cabinet staff into a room. All of them, the highest officials in the Kremlin, around this big oak table. And at one end of the table where Stalin was, was a cage. It's a true story. It had a live chicken in it. He walks around the table, unnerving all of the officials, they know his temper can lead to their death. And he begins to say, listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to show you how you lead. He made it back to the head of the table, reached into that cage, grabbed that squirming live chicken, and he began to pluck all of the feathers off of it till it was completely nude. Squealing and squawking and flapping. He puts it on the floor and it begins to run around the room till Stalin reached into his pocket, put out a handful of corn right at his feet, and the chicken immediately came right back to his feet, settled down, and began to eat. He said, that's how you lead. You can do anything you want to people as long as you give them their food. That's Stalin. These were, the, these were the governors before Nehemiah. But Nehemiah said, I did not do so. Look at the text. Because of the fear of God. Promotion exposes character. And the fear of God, friends, is what Stalin lacked. In fact, I've shared this before. When Stalin died, Robbie Zacharias includes it in his book, Can Man Live Without God? Stalin's daughter, Anna, who is a believer, was there when he died. And she recorded in an interview with Zacharias that when my father was dying moments before he died, he sat up in his bed and he lifted his fist and he shook it to the ceiling and he collapsed back in the bed and minutes later died. He died with no fear of God in his eyes. 
And the fear of God is what brings life, the, the Proverbs writes. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. Listen, if you fear God, you won't worry about anything or anyone. You won't worry if you're going to have enough to pay your bills. You won't worry about what your boss might do when they find out you're a Christian. The fear of God eclipses all of that because the fear of God is an inordinate awe and adoration for God that translates into faith in trust. If you're going to fear God, you're going to trust him. You're going to worship him. Fear is a synonym of worship. The fear of God is a worship of God that says he's watching my life and I want all of it to be pleasing to him. I read yesterday an article on CNN about mega churches and I'm not a big fan always of mega churches. I think there are some fantastic ones. But I think there's some others that are doing some destructive work in the kingdom of God. But there was some responses to this article, and I always kind of like to read them. I don't know why I do. They're always almost negative, almost always negative. But one of the responses to this article said this, Why was an innocent child taught to fear God? It took me many adult years to realize and understand the answer to that question. And here's the, this was this lady's uh, response or summary, the more you fear, the more you attend. Churches want to teach the fear of God because then they can control you. And friends, she's really not very inaccurate with that. There's a lot of churches that are doing that. But what she does not understand is what the fear of God really is. It's really not the fear that God's going to hit the smite button when you walk off the path. It's not the fear that makes you tremble when you think of God coming. In fact, the fear of God is the very opposite of that. It makes you anticipate the coming of God. It makes you long to be in the presence of God. It makes your heart delight that God would look upon you. And this is what we get in Psalm 42, is a deer pants for flowing streams, right? Very, very familiar verse. So pants my soul for you, O God. But you got to go on. you got to read the whole verse. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? If you really fear God, you're going to adore Him. And if you really adore God, you're going to want to invite His presence into your life. You're going to want to be before Him. Promotion in the kingdom of God leads in a downward direction. Promotion always exposes our character, but third, promotions increase temptation. Look at verse 16. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews, and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. You know, my greatest surprise in 2006, I've actually shared this before, when I became the lead pastor of this church, by the way, I had no idea what was coming. In fact, I talked to my former lead pastor about a year ago about this. I said, why didn't you tell me? We both knew this is not something you can teach. It's something you have to experience. My greatest surprise when I became the lead pastor was the increase in the weight of responsibility. The burden of ministry fell on my shoulders. I had no idea how protected I was under the shoulders of Dean Carlson when I was the associate pastor here. 
Yeah, there were difficulties in youth ministry, but not like the ones that I began to face when leading a church. Listen, you know that. If you've been promoted to a higher position, then you know that the weight of responsibility settles more deeply on your shoulders. And with that greater responsibility comes greater hardship and greater temptation. And Nehemiah hints at this hardship. Look what he writes, and you've got to get this. You've got to really look at the grammar. He said he persevered. I persevered in the work on this wall. Now go on. Look at your verses, please. Look what it says. Because the rest of that sentence is in the plural. We acquired no land. All my servants. That's plural. But when it came to persevering, Nehemiah was singular. I had to persevere. The weight of responsibility came on my shoulders and my alone. But look a little bit deeper in these two verses, 16 and 17. Look what he says. We acquired no land. Do you, have you ever thought through that? This is one of those things that we tend to you know, kind of read over really quickly in our devotions and say, okay, let me get to the good parts, the juicy parts. Do you know there's a world of integrity in this? Listen, what's going to happen to the price of land as Jerusalem is now going to be rebuilt and safe in a prosperous center for worship, people are going to clamor to live within its walls. People are going to clamor to live around them. Real estate slogan, right? Location, location, location. It, de- it determines the price. Listen, the only direction that the value of this land was going right now was up. And this is what the nobles and the officials were doing. They were loaning money knowing that you're going to default. And when you default, they're going to gobble your land. And they're going to amass their their base of wealth. So when Nehemiah writes that we acquired no land, here's what he's saying. There is money to be made, but it will distract me from the kingdom of God. Therefore, me and my staff will have none of it. You see the integrity? Do you see the temptation that he resisted? Let's be honest for a second. How many of us honestly can withstand the temptation of money? I guarantee you, if you're playing the lottery, you're not withstanding the temptation of money. And how often we've seen in this church that when you're promoted, all of a sudden you begin to disappear from the church. You don't have the time anymore to serve. It's because all of a sudden the promotion is what's grabbing your eye. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And what we're seeing in Nehemiah, that though the temptation was there, he said, I won't have any of it. We will do the work of God, and that will be our singular focus. He was unlike Demas, who in the Apostle Paul's day, who was in love with this present world, and he's deserted me. Similar to King Solomon before him, who became the wealthiest man in the world. Do you know what people, experts, calculate Solomon's annual profit to be? $876 million. In fact, the Bible says Solomon made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone. Nehemiah rejected worldliness, and here's how you define it. It's finding your satisfaction in what this world offers. That's worldliness. That's the temptation. You've been given a promotion. Instead of moving in a downward direction, it begins to expose the integrity and the character in your heart. 
And all of a sudden, what's in the heart begins to come out. Friends, the degree of temptation only increases with promotion. Don't be so quick to want promotion. And it's why God will not allow everyone to have it. Those who are promoted quickly realize that with the increase comes greater burdens. Just look at what Nehemiah had to do. The the text details how many mouths he has has to feed, but there's more if you go behind the text. They had 150 men. He had important officials, many who were visiting dignitaries. Do your own math. They had wives and children. Verse 18, now what was prepared at my expense every day was one ox, six sheep, birds every 10 days, wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. You think your bill for your groceries every week is high? One expert said this was enough food to feed six to 800 people every single day coming from his own pocket. That's integrity. Imagine the temptation of every day. For 12 years this went on. For 12 years every day, there's a lot of money I'm spending. The king said I can get a food allowance. I can have my expense account. I know it's going to draw from the people who are struggling, but right now it's coming out of my pocket. Can you imagine the temptation that mounts month after month, yet Nehemiah resisted it? Promotions will head us in a downward direction to serve. Promotions expose your character. What we've just learned, promotions increase temptation. And friends, finally, promotions handled rightly bring honor. You ever seriously thought how you want to be remembered? If I'm still alive and I have the privilege of conducting your funeral. I know that's a ghastly thought. Other than when Ken goes, that's going to be a terrible thought, terrible thought. It's on video. I'll make sure he checks in this week. You know what I do every funeral? There is no exception. There's a time where I facilitate an opportunity for you to say something about that person that died. And sometimes it's, High praise, that is the tendency, by the way, when somebody dies, we all of a sudden saint them. There's high praise. Sometimes there's a funny story that's shared. Sometimes, very, very rarely, there's some hard thoughts that are shared, usually in a smaller funeral context. But I always make it available, and I always try to ask people while they're still alive. In fact, there's somebody right now that's not part of our church that's getting close to dying He's about ready to go in hospice, and I'm already asking, well, how do you want your funeral to go? What do you want people to remember about you? If you could write your own epitaph, what would it say? How do you want people to remember you? Well, Nehemiah says, God, remember, verse 19, remember for my good. He's asking God, he's praying, remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. And if you've been in this series and you've been learning Nehemiah the man, this sounds kind of atypical. It doesn't sound like Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah is selfless. He leaves a posh life in Persia. With all of its perks and money. Listen, how did he have deep pockets for 12 years? It's because he was wealthy. 
But just because he's wealthy doesn't mean he wasn't tempted to siphon off the people. Wealthy people want to hold on to their money. Nehemiah said, I want it to go. And I want it to go in the direction of service. But he came from a posh life. He gave it up to come to a city that really wasn't very welcoming to him with nobles from Tekoa who would not do the work with enemies all the way around him trying to stop the work and you'll see in the next chapter trying to kill him. And he's refusing the temptations of wealth. He's refusing the whispery pull of power. He's shouldering the weight and he's persevering. And now in his prayer for the very first time in all of the book, he prays a prayer for him. Sounds kind of selfish. Until you look a little bit deeper and learn that when you pray and ask God to remember me, listen, you know what you're asking? God, give me your full attention. And look at all of me. Look at my thoughts. Look at my motives. Look at my words. And look at my action. How many of us have the guts to pray that prayer? And write it down in your books. God, I don't want a glance in me. I want all of your attention to fix on me and see all that I am doing. He's praying from Psalm 139, David's prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You know, pound the gavel. That's what the word try means. It means to examine in a court of law. Examine me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And if there is God, then lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, remember me. Look at my life. If there's anything you don't like, then lead me out of it and lead me to righteousness. Remember me, he prays, for my good. Oh, my God, all that I have done for this people. Lord, look at it all. You know, this is the law of the harvest. Do you know what the law of the harvest is in prayer? It's, Lord, there are no visible signs that my labor is having an effect, that my service is bearing fruit. I'm praying for my child over and over. They seem not to be budging in their sin. I'm praying for my spouse repeatedly. They seem not to be budging. I'm praying for my coworkers, my boss, my neighbors. I'm serving them. My church seems like it's not making any fruitful gains. The law of the harvest is, you know, God's word never returns empty. You know, your prayers are always answered according to the law of God. There will be fruit when God says there will be. And Nehemiah is praying this law of the harvest. Examine me, God. Examine my actions. Examine all that I have done for this people. Lead me in the way everlasting. Do your work so that one day, is this your prayer? I'm going to hear you say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That fueled Nehemiah's life. It drove him to live in the fear of God. He knew one day God would look right at him and he'd have something to say. He's not asking for treasures. He's not asking for trophies. and He's not asking for positions. He says, I want your favor. I want your remembrance on me. And you can pray that. 
In fact, the Bible invites you to pray that. Lord, work in me. Remember me for my good. What is my good? Worldliness, riches, wealth, power? No, that doesn't do anybody any good. For my good is that I would hunger after you and thirst after you and serve you with all my life. And one day stand before you for the ultimate promotion. Rewarded into the life of eternal pleasure with God. How well do you handle promotion when God gives it? How well do you handle demotion when God takes it away? In God's kingdom, promotion descends into servanthood. It exposes character. It increases responsibility and temptation. And friends, listen, if you handle it right, it will bring eternal honor. And Lord willing, you will hear God say right into your eyes, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Lord, thank you, Father, that we can learn from Nehemiah, so many others. I was reading this morning with Daniel. What a man of character. He followed all four of these. Joseph, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Lord, so many. John the Baptist, later on, Peter, Paul, John, Lord, so many men and women in the Word of God handled promotion well, and so many didn't. Father, I pray that we would see that when you give promotion, when you exalt us, it is in a downward direction that we would serve. And that promotion will expose our hearts. And with that promotion will come increased responsibility, increased temptation. And if we handle these promotions and if we handle these demotions rightly, there will be great honor in store for us. Lord, let us ask for it. And let us live in a way that we live in the fear of God, adoring you, trusting and loving you. We thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for the testimony and the example he is to us. Help us be the people of God and handle them well. In your name we pray, amen.